Have you ever noticed that just about the time you find a product that works for you, they discontinue it or they change it? Just about the time you find a restaurant you like, they change the menu or they close down. Just about the time you find a hairstylist who does it the way you want it, they move or sometimes, just about the time you find a good mechanic, they close up shop or they sell out or something. I, I had a, I finally found a good mechanic and, and this is not funny. I mean, he, he found out as a young man, he had cancer. He died of cancer a couple months later. And I just, I'll tell you the truth. I was so upset, but I was more upset because my good mechanic was gone. Then the guy lost his life. I, it's just a fact of life that that's how things affect us. That's how changes happen. Ch- so change is constant. It's mostly uninvited. It's mostly unwanted. Author John A. Simon a Sr. said, if you're in a bad situation, don't worry. It'll change. If you're in a good situation, don't worry. It'll change. Uh, change brings disruption into our lives. And you can't escape it. Neither can I. Things have changed around you. And so we're going to do this series, Ready or Not. Ready or Not, change is here. Change is coming. Change will be introduced into your life. For a whole lot of us in the room, it's fresh and right in front of you that something significant has changed. It's disrupted things. And we see from the Bible even that there's that change is inevitable. It's universal. It's, and it's indiscriminate. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it talks about how that, you know, we have these plans and how we put things in place and we want to make them work. But then Ecclesiastes 9 says this, I've, I've seen something else under the sun. Race is not to the swift. Battle doesn't go to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But here's what happens. Time and chance happen to them all. You know what that's saying? It's changes come into the mix and throw things off. The Bible talks a lot about change happening. It's kind of, you can't control it any more than you can control the wind. And so the, the way things happen to you that you didn't choose to happen is described as the wind blowing in the Proverbs or in Psalms 103. Verse 16, it says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it's gone. Its place remembers it no more. Even Jesus talking about how God works through his spirit says in John 3, 8, the wind blows wherever it wills. You can't choose it. You can't stop it. And sometimes change is brought on by handfuls of things. Sometimes it's brought on by our own choice. We make changes. Sometimes it's forced upon us by our circumstances. At other times, it's brought on by God. American uh, science fiction writer uh, Octavia Butler said, the only lasting truth is change. And then she said, God is change. You know, I don't know that I agree with that because we sang about this. He doesn't change. God does not change. But he sure seems interested in bringing a whole lot of change around him. He does it in our lives. He does it in yours. Most of us, most of us say we like variety, right? We say we, we say we like change, but the only change we really like is the like the change that we got to choose. When we get to choose it, it's okay. If it's forced upon us, then we don't like it at all. Some of you are sitting here and you're still not listening because you're just mad that I made we made you move, right? Some of you are belligerent enough that you did not move. 
Some people just, well, I'm, I was in this section. I just kind of, because we don't like it being forced upon us. Change uh, brings stress to our lives. In, in the 1960s, uh, a huge study that's still used in, in psychology today is, is called the Holmes uh, Rea Stress Scale. And it measures how much happens to a person in their life. Measures that if a handful of things happen in six months, in, in the next six months, you can expect to get ill. It's signed through thousands of studies uh, and giving assigned values. It gave points to what those things are. And if your points are over 300 in a score of, in a space of six, uh, six months, that you will, can expect you will have serious to moderate illness in the next six months. 150 to 300, pretty good chance of it. And those, those scores were given here. I'm just going to show you the chart. 43 different things with point values assigned. It's still used today. Top of the list is death of a spouse is given 100. Divorce is in there, marital separation. You'll see things like pregnancy, sexual difficulties. Christmas has 12 points. <laughs> Doesn't matter. In the next six months, you'll get 12 points of stress cause just because you live at Christmas time. Mortgages and foreclosures and changes at work and home. Of that list, at least 31 of those things either use the word or refer to a change that happens in a person's life. When you experience change, you experience stress. How, how many of those have happened in your life in the last six months? You can take a look and see how susceptible you'll be. How has change affected you? Stephen Chbosky, whose book, uh, The Perks of Being a Wallflower, was turned into a movie that I believe opens this weekend, said things change. This is in that book, The Perks of Being a Wallflower. Things change and friends leave and life doesn't stop for anybody. It's true for you. It's true for me. What are we supposed to do about it? Today we're going to talk about a specific kind of change. The change we're going to call it the change of relocation. It means a change in your primary surroundings. It may refer to where you live and also may refer to where you operate most of your time. Studies say that uh, 34%, or, or, excuse me, three-fourths, three-fourths of all Americans move in five years. We just raised our hands to talk about that. Three-fourths of us will have moved every, in five years. The Manpower Service said that there, in, in 2012, 84% of the working um, class. 84% are searching for a new job this year. 84% searching. 20% a year will get one. You find yourself in a different set of surroundings, a new environment. There's a new department that you work in. There are new co-workers around you. There's a new school that you're around. I look over here and they're not there. Where are you guys? There you are. (laughs) New schools, new sets of team, a new team that you're part of, or a new neighborhood, new address, maybe even a new region or a new city. The impact of all that is that it makes things unfamiliar. It makes them unsettling. Those of us who have experienced change are experiencing right now. You find that every time you go and you operate in a new sphere, you have to learn what the mores are of that sphere, right? You have to learn what the patterns are that are going on right there. Every sphere has them. There are pecking orders in every environment. There's an alpha dog in your neighborhood. There, 
There's, there are tribal chiefs in families and in workplaces. They're not just the people in positions. You have to kind of learn who those are. There, there are protocols for how things get done and who, how people talk and what they talk about. Dynamics and personalities change. And, and their roles, you know, you go and you have to learn, okay, who's the leader in this environment? Who's the class clown here? Who's the rebel here? Who's the dutiful one here? And which role am I going to have here? When we're in that, we... We crave something familiar because you come in and you have to learn, well, what's the style here? What are, what, what are the adjustments I have to make? When, I, when we moved to Columbus to plant this church, there were a couple of things I, I needed to learn right away. And one of them was you don't plan stuff on fall Saturday afternoons. You just don't do it. I didn't know that. You, don't, you can do it, but no one will come. And the other thing I had to learn was we were driving around looking at our houses, checking things out, and we saw a house with had on the front little porch and had this little concrete goose. <laughs> say, wow, they must like geese there. And then we're driving around and we see another one. And there's another one. And, and suddenly they're everywhere, these concrete geese. And then we see them and they got like clothes on <laughs> and stuff, little Buckeye outfits. And, and, and at ha- Halloween time they're dressed up and at Thanksgiving they're dressed like pilgrims and they've got little glasses on them. And we said, what planet did we land on? You have to learn what the environment's like. And that makes an impact on you. It's, it's unsettling. It's unfamiliar. I'm going to take you to the New Testament today, but refer to the Old Testament. Uh, if you have a Bible, take, take a look at James chapter 4 with me. We'll get there. But there's lots of examples in Scripture of people being displaced or finding themselves relocated. The big change of finding, finding yourself in a whole new environment, whether it's a family situation or even a land that you're in. So Joseph in the Old Testament gets sold into slavery, gets sent to Egypt. And he has to learn an entire new culture of people who have different gods, different language, different ways of doing things. Daniel, we heard about this summer when we took a look at the prophets. Daniel gets exiled to Babylon. And as a young man, he's taken to a place where they're going to teach him now. You don't live in your homeland anymore. You're going to learn the ways of where we are. He finds himself out of place. Esther is taken into the courts of the kings of Persia. Has to hide her nationality in order to survive. Has to learn all the protocols there. None of those people chose the change in their life, like most of the change that you and I have experienced. We don't choose it. But when that happens, well, we crave something. We, it, pre- it presents something, too. It presents a series of tests and a series of opportunities. Every time we look at the changes we'll talk about in this series, we're going to take a look at the set of tests that it brings into your life when you experience that change and the set of opportunities it presents. So in James chapter 4, it talks about plans for change, somebody who's trying to bring change in their life. And here's just an instruction to people who are looking to make some changes in their life. Now, this is verse 13 of James 4. Now listen, those of you who say, I got a plan. Today or tomorrow, we'll go into this or that city and we're going to spend a year there. While we're there, we'll carry on business and we'll make money. You have plans. You enact them. And then this question comes. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. Because what is your life? You're missed. It appears for a little while and then it vanishes. You don't control the things. Change will come into your life. Instead, you ought to say, well, if it's the Lord's will, 
will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such boasting is evil. You get tested when you're in a position of, new, of change or change direction. Whether you bring it yourself or it's brought upon you, you get tested. Here's a handful of ways that you and I get tested when you're in a new... And if you're in a, a new environment now, you've had major change of relocation of your surroundings, here's some of the tests that you experience. It tests your motives. It tests these guys' motives. Why do we, when we initiate a change or move, why do we do it? What's going through our mind? What's going through our heart that says that a change of surroundings is, is good? What's the primary motivation? Do you see the primary motivation here in James 4? We're going to make a change. And when we go there, the reason is we're going to do, go into business and we're going to make money. It'll test your motives when you want to decide whether you want to make a change. Are you considering a change? God would ask, well, wait, what's your motive for it? Let me just throw this out there. If your motive is material in nature, finances, stuff, if your motive is emotional in nature, it's just because I'll feel better in a different place. If your, mo- mo- if your motive is because of fear or frustration, then you are likely to repeat those feelings wherever you go. God would challenge that motive. And what it's implied in this passage when he says, instead, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll go and do something. There's an enacting there of an an outside motive that changes somebody. He says, wait a minute. Maybe I need to ask why I do what I do. Perhaps it's more appropriate to say, what is the Lord's will in this move? And and if his will, implied in his will is, Is the motive really for spiritual health? Is it for the kingdom advance of God? Is that the primary motive this can happen? Not the other things are going to be factors, but what's the primary motive? You get tested on that when change comes into your life, especially the opportunity to change. It it also tests your priorities. You know what the first thing is uh, when moving uh, companies have, have said? that When people move, the first thing that happens when people get in the house and they get their stuff in the house. You know, the very next thing they do is they set up their cable. In this country, they set up their cable. Often before anything else is opened, often before any even other utilities are set up, they will set up the cable and the internet access. Your priorities get tested when you're in change. Some people never get around to other priorities. Priorities like serving people. Priorities like worshiping with people. Priorities like connecting with people. We just, when we went through this series this summer on the prophets, I, I got a chance to teach in Haggai. And Haggai, God talks to his people about their, their change, their relocation when they came back from exile. Here's, here's what he says in Haggai 1. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, well, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. They've, they've been relocated and now they've got, Priorities, well, it's not time. It's not a priority yet to do that. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? There's a principle there. That God says there's a test of your priorities. When you find yourself in a new location, what's most important to you? You find out most, what's most important to you because that's what you'll do. When you get there and you get the lay of the land, the land, first perhaps you find out where the grocery store is. Perhaps you find out. And then what do you do next? 
What's your heart set on? What are your values in that moment? Relocation will test your standards and your character too. Now here, here's something that you, you probably already intuitively know. Every environment you go to, every neighborhood, every cul-de-sac, every, every workstation, every school has got an innate tone to it. It's, it, has, it, has a, it has a spiritual temperature to it. It's got a color to it, if you might say. Those environments change. When you go from one into another, you will discover, if you're paying attention, what the tone is in this place. And that is reflected in its standards, the, the language that's used there, the, the topics that get talked about, the, how much people care or value each other there, what's funny there and what's not funny there, what's important there and what's not important there. It, it, there's a certain temperature to that place. If you just entered a new school, there's a temperature in that building. There's a tone in the building, even in your class. You go to a neighborhood and there's a certain tone there. I, I, we were gonna, when we were looking for houses... I met some of the neighbors in a, in a particular neighborhood and, and two different guys who walked up, they walked up and they both asked me the same question. So do you play golf? Do you play golf? Uh, I do now. I used to. There's a tone there. This is a place where that's, if you want to be accepted, that's kind of where that happens. There's certain ethics reflected. There's language that's used. There's morals and, and what are considered normative behaviors and practices there. When Daniel was brought into his new environment that we heard about this summer. His standards were tested. He, he, the question was whether he would compromise, or let's put it this way, whether he would allow the temperature of or the tone of that environment to be adapted into his life, whether it would affect him or whether he would affect it. You don't think about it. You don't do anything. You know which one will happen. You will ex- embrace the temperature the tone of the environment that you enter. That is why God said to his people over and over again when he brought them into the promised land, it's reflected here in Deuteronomy 18, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn, it should say, to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. You're going to go into an environment and that environment's just going to have a kind of a gravitational pull on you. What's normative there will become normative for you even if you say it won't, unless you do something about it unless you enact change on it. Daniel made a decision. He purposed in his heart, Scripture says, not to defile himself. I'm in this new environment, but I'm not going to adopt its values for myself. Can I just say this? You are, I'll just say it this way. No one is ever a product of their environment totally. We're affected by our environment pick up some of the dialects, sometimes pick up some of the values. You can tell some, sometimes where somebody's from in the country based on how they act or talk or what certain things. But you're never totally a product of your environment. You and I have a choice we make. The environment you find yourself in right now and what you, the way you behave there, are you going into a new job environment? Are you moving? Are you in a, new, a new family situation? You and I have a choice. We decide, like Daniel, whether we will affect it or whether we won't. That's what the New Testament then says several times in 1 Peter 2, verses 11 and 12. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world. Right there. See the difference? Now look, you're in a different environment. Your standards are probably going to be different than the people around you, or they're supposed to be because of who you belong to. This is talking to followers of Jesus, by the way. If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, 
Understand that if you become a follower of Jesus, he sets a new course for you. He creates a new character for you. He leads you that way. And that w- the way he's leading you is going to look more and more different than what you're used to, what your surroundings are. So I urge you as, as aliens and strangers, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul and live such goodly lives among the pagans, which just means those who don't reflect that, those, those values, that although they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Romans 12 just puts it very simply. Don't conform any longer to the patterns of this world. You have a choice. You're not a victim of the environment you're in. You don't have to adopt its color and temperature and tone. But understand, you, every time you have that change come into your life, you're tested. What will you do? And, and the, another way you're tested then... Yeah, well, let me just say this. Can I just say this to those who are going to... Some of you are in school, all right? Your, your school seems like a, a big kind of monster that has its own standards, right? And you go from, from grade school to middle school, go from middle school to high school, and you find out that you, what you'll say is, everybody does this. No one used the language they did, very few, in grade school. And suddenly in middle school, something happens, and everybody uses different language. It just kind of becomes... And everybody goes to the dances, and, and you can ask, do they grind at the dances? No. And then all of a sudden, everybody does. What happens? It has its own temperature. It has its own flavor. You go to college, and colleges have got their own personalities and their own reputations. You have a decision to make. You don't have to become like everybody else. You don't have to live by that standard. You don't have to embrace that. It'll cost you something to do that. But that's the test that'll happen when you're in a relocated area. Here's the last thing that the test, maybe I'm going to use the word, it exposes this. When you relocate, it exposes your identity, your true self, your heart, who you are. See, there's an old expression, and I saw this again, because last weekend I was in, I was in the middle of Indiana at, helping the church out. And I'm a city boy, and I lived in Indiana for a while. But, you know, I was driving through, I mean, it's like, wow. You know, and I, I rolled down the windows, and I thought, what is that smell? It's a smell that I'm not used to. I'm used to diesel fuel fumes and stuff like that, you know. And I haven't lived, now come on, now I have not lived in the giant city for years. But there's an old expression that tends to be true. You can take the boy out of the city, but you can't take the city out of the boy, right? Some people think, what I need is a change of venue. What I need is a change of circumstance. Some of, some of us in the room right now are considering changes because you say, if I could just get away from that person, if I could just get away from that environment, that circumstance, everything would be different. I could be a different person. I have got an image here that would change. I would be a, a fundamentally different person if you take me out of that. You know what God says about that? Uh-uh. That's not going to change anything, really. Because there's one thing that doesn't change. It's the core of who you are. You're not going to go from one environment to another and suddenly go from being a quiet person to being a loud, outspoken person. You're not going to suddenly switch from being a follower to being a leader just because the environment changes. You're not going to change from being somebody who, who doesn't show initiative spiritually to somebody who's, who does all the time. I've got a good friend who's led a missions organization, a very, uh, a very large one. 
He said one of the biggest issues we have with people is they think when they consider going to the mission field, they think if I just get to a different culture, I will be aggressive for the gospel. I'll be outspoken. I'll be able to talk to people like that. And the biggest thing that indicator they use to determine whether somebody is ready to go to the mission field is, are they sharing their faith aggressively, effectively, where they live right now? If you're not doing it where you're doing it now, you're not going to do it on the mission field. Simple as that. Because... The change exposes your true heart, your true self. My, my family moved when I was a kid, and I had a, I had a nemesis, Toby Tyree. If he listens to this online, I'm still mad at you, Toby. <laughs> Toby was trying to steal my best friend, Mark Richards, from me. He was always trying to, and I thought, oh, it's just, Toby was always, he, he was just always, that's not his real name, as far as you know. And then my family decided to move. And although I wasn't really ready to move, I thought, you know what, at least I don't have to deal with that guy. And if I get him out of my life, you know, I won't have any nemesis anymore. I won't have anybody else who gives me a hard time. And we moved, and within two months, Kevin Nicely, interesting name, became Toby Tyree. Maybe it was them, maybe it was me. The dynamic is still there because I'm still the same person. See, if you want, if you want something to change, if you, if you want who you are to change, something else needs to happen. Je- Jesus talked about this. Would you flip back to, to Mark, or sorry, Matthew chapter 7? Here's how he put it. Matthew 7 verse 4, or uh, verse, let me see. Maybe it is Mark. I'm sorry, it is Mark. Mark, Mark chapter 7. I'm, I'm prepared. I'm ready. It's a test. Mark chapter 7, verse 14. Jesus called the crowd around him and he said, Now listen to me. Everyone understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. He was being accused of violating the Sabbath. Whether people washed their hands or not, whether they followed ceremonial cleansing kinds of stuff, whether things were called or unclean. He says, rather, it what comes, it's what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. And after he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. And are you, are you so dull, he asked? Don't you see? That nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean. For it doesn't, it doesn't go into his heart, it goes into his stomach. And then it goes out his body. And in this way, by the way, it says Jesus was declaring all foods to be clean. It's not, God does not consider it based on that. And he went on. So what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts, that's where certain things come. Look what comes out of there. Evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. You won't have an affair with a coworker because it was that particular coworker. You have an affair with a coworker because there's something wrong in your heart. You can change venues all you want. You will still wrestle with the same problems. All these evils, he says, come from inside and make a man unclean. You want to be a different person? Don't move. Don't change jobs in order to be a different person. That won't have an effect on who you are. 
And there is only one source in the universe that can change who you are. It is by having the character of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, transform you from the inside out. By knowing Him, by inviting Him to have His way in your life, by asking Him to change you. You cannot reform your heart by just deciding you're going to be a different person here. You want that kind of change. It's not a change of venue. It's a change of soul that comes through the hands of the one who can penetrate it. The Son of God, Jesus. It's what He's best at. So there are a lot of tests for those of us who've had big change of where we are. But you know what? There are also some opportunities. Just for a minute, let's take a look at what the opportunities are. And especially if you find yourself just on the brink of a change of venue, change of environment, circumstances, situation. You're about to move neighborhoods. You're about to move jobs. Or maybe you just did or you're considering it. There's some opportunities at relocation. That big change can, can offer in our lives. And one of those big opportunities is it gives you the opportunity to focus on what can be gained more than what, can be, what has been lost. If God is sovereign, if God is in charge and God had something to do with the, the change in your life, if it came from outside yourself, there is a God who says that the, the biggest thing he wants to do is, is affect people's hearts and affect eternity. The focus of your new environment could be on what personally can be gained from being in this environment. What eternally can be gained. And that happens, hear this, if you choose not to focus on everything you miss, everything you lost. So many people, when they find themselves under the big change of relocation, they're just agonizing over the fact of what they lost, who they left behind, who they miss, how life is not going to be the same. I have all these friends and I miss those friends. I have all this... I had, all, I had all this stuff or whatever it is. I was comfortable there and I don't have that anymore. The focus is not on what the opportunity is for what, for what can be advanced or what can be gained. It's on, oh, look at what I lost. I can't believe how am I going to live with all this gone in my life? Please don't constantly compare your new place to your old place. Don't constantly compare your new city to your old city, your new church to your old church. It's not a fair comparison. And the fact, there's a fact about the old place, the old city, the old job. When you long for it, when you say, oh, the friends who were so good or whatever it is. Can I tell you what, what, what the fact is? It wasn't so great. It wasn't. We have selective memory about stuff like that. We choose to remember the really good things that happened there. And we put them all in kind of an amalgam and we say, oh, look at that. And, and we don't. Focus on the fact that, yeah, and it was flawed. And there were struggles and there was pain. And there was disappointment, sometimes a lot of it. God would invite us to shift our focus from where we have been, what we feel like we might have lost to, what is the opportunity? What might God be up to by putting me in this new environment? And we saw in the dramatic thing that we had two weeks ago on the life of the Apostle Paul, which was just fantastic. One of the phrases that was used in that was a a quote from Paul that he wrote in his epistles. And he said, I want you to know, brothers, that my imprisonment, he was under house arrest. He was under, he was in a dungeon for a while. He's under house arrest for most of the time he's writing this stuff. He says, my imprisonment has served to advance the gospel. Now, see, he had a moment. He had a decision about what he's going to focus on. He could focus on how he'd lost his freedom, 
how he'd lost the volition to go where he wanted to go. But his, he shifted the focus and he said, I gotta, I'm going to focus on this. There's an opportunity here to advance something. That what, something could be gained that wasn't gained otherwise. In your situation, whether it's your job or your neighborhood or wherever it might be, there is something that can be accomplished here in this current place that could not be accomplished in the other place. What is it? It's a spiritual exercise, but I invite you to have it. What is it that could be accomplished where you find yourself now that wasn't able to be accomplished where you were? Find that what that is. Make that your focus, as Paul did. There's an opportunity to redirect your priorities and your attention to establish fresh, fresh associations. Daniel and his friends did that. They move into this place. There is risk of death if they don't comply. But they see this as an opportunity to... You know what? You know, we talk about, well, it's Daniel. You know, he's, he's Daniel. He's like this cool prophet dude. You know that Daniel was a teenager when he was taken into captivity. And Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they were just, they, these were nondescript people. These weren't heroes of the faith. These weren't leaders. These were just regular Jewish kids who were brought. And they said, well, you know what? They seem kind of intelligent. Well, they passed the AP courses we gave them. Okay. Did all right on the SATs. Oh, let's bring them in here. And they were tested. And when that happened, they saw it as a moment, an, an opportunity to redirect their priorities and attention, to say, when I go into this place, I will not defile myself. I will set a standard for myself there. God says it to children of Israel all the time. We already heard it once. When you enter the land, when you enter the land, when you enter the land, when you've got this new opportunity, you've got a chance to establish who you are, the things that are most important to you. When you enter the land, give thanks to me and worship only me and do not embrace the other gods and I will bless you for that. You've got a chance. The apostle Peter, who was a failure over and over and over again under the tutelage of Jesus, after the resurrection of Jesus, and Jesus has a conversation with him where he says, I want you to be a leader for my, I want you to shepherd my flock. Peter, who has, has been a coward up to that point, goes into a new environment and a new situation and he makes a decision to redirect his priorities and attention. And so in Acts, Peter stands up and he's, he's seeing God do a miraculous thing and he just announces to every people who, it'll cost him something to do this. He goes, let it be known. Let it be known exactly what's going on here. It is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that these people are being healed. It says they looked at Peter and John and they recognized them as people who had been with Jesus. This week, for, it started when I was a youth pastor, actually, and they, it's done every year since then. There's a thing called See You at the Pole. You might have heard of it. We're all across campuses, grade school campuses. It started in high school, but grade school campuses, middle school campuses, high school campuses. People will gather before school one day, and our youth group is encouraged to do this. And every time it happens, there's an opportunity for a lot of people who are students. This represents the first, their first foray into that environment. And there will be people who say, I can't do that. It's too inconvenient for me. I can't do that. I don't know who will be there. I don't know if any of my friends will come. I don't know what people will think. And there will be some people, and I hope a whole bunch of them are sitting right here, who say, this is my chance. I have an environment, and I have an opportunity to set a priority for myself as somebody who says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. 
Now, you may not have a pole at your workplace to gather around, but the same opportunity is there. You may not have these kinds of events in your neighborhood, but the same opportunity presents itself when you go into those places. Here's the other thing that opportunity gives us. It gives us an opportunity to... related to that, to paint a fresh picture on a blank canvas. To say, okay, I might be the same person and I'm asking God to change me, but this environment doesn't know me yet. My reputation may not have followed me fully from that where I was to here. This neighborhood doesn't have an association with me yet. This street, this house doesn't have that yet. You go into a new place and you can say, this computer has never been violated. I got this new workstation and this one has never been violated. These people have never heard me use the language that I used in the other place. These people don't know where I stand. This week in my cell group, a friend who's in the cell group talked about being interviewed for a job. Goes into that series of interviews and in the interviews, the person who would be the head of, I don't know if it's head of the company or head of his department, asks him a question that he has not heard asked from the moment it happened, but he saw a wristband around his wrist. And for months, this guy's worn a wristband. And that wristband says, Kurios Theos. You got to hear. It's a Greek, we did it from a series we went through. I'm wearing mine now. Yeah, forget I wear it. Lord and God. He's my Lord and my God. My friend said he has not had a single person ask him about that wristband until this week when he was interviewed. And the boss said, what's that? In that moment, he had an opportunity. The opportunity was he could say, oh, I just, it's just a wristband. Or it could be, oh, I got that from my church. Or it could be what he chose to do. Where he said, it's Greek and it stands for my Lord and my God. And it means that I want to honor Jesus Christ as my Lord and my God wherever I go. It serves as a reminder to me. What he did in that moment was he took his relocation as an opportunity. And in that moment, he declared who he would be. Not knowing what it would do. Not knowing what the response would be. Just because that opportunity presented itself. Let me ask you this question. What change of surroundings are you finding yourself in right now? How are you viewing it? What's your attitude toward it? What, what have been your priorities in getting acclimated to it? Or if you're considering a change, why are you seeking the change? What's the motive of your heart for it? It'll have an effect on you or you will have an effect on it. What effect will that environment have on you? Who you are as a person? Where you go, what you say, what you do, what you think. What effect will that environment have on you? And here's the other question. What effect do you intend to have on it? What would God stir in you to say, use this, pass the tests of the, of the change and accept the opportunities, enact them and bring glory to God in ways that will em- empower you to live in that environment in a way that impacts the whole world around you.